Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Well, revival was sweet, wasn't it? We saw tremendous uh, crowds each day, each evening, and, uh, and I just want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for supporting our revival, uh, both with your attendance. Uh, we had tremendous prayer beforehand. I want to thank you uh, so much for your willingness to do that. And as a result, I believe, because I am, I'm one of those crazy guys that believes every word of the word. And so I'm, I'm just crazy enough to buy into the notion that God hears the prayers of his people. And I'm just crazy enough to think that as good as Brother Rick was at preaching and as good as Brother Philip was at leading and as wonderful as our choir sang, I'm just crazy enough to think that part of the reason that the Holy Spirit descended upon this place was that his people were faithful to pray for his Holy Spirit to descend upon this place. Brother Rick uh, asked me to pass on to you that he was absolutely blown away and so appreciative of your support uh, for Rick Corum Ministries, both through uh, offerings and through purchasing books and, and just supporting. And just mainly he said that the spirit, when people shook his hand, was so sweet. And so he was very appreciative of that. But given all of the glory that we experienced in those services, there's a tendency, uh, particularly Thursday and Friday, if you aren't careful, to take a deep breath, isn't there? It's tough to come to church every night, isn't it? We, we get off work and we have to get here and the services and, and man, they were good, but that's almost tiring because we've just come so accustomed to not feeling the Holy Spirit that way all week long that when we feel it, we go to bed and we're tired and we rest and then we come to Thursday and we realize we don't have services that night. And if we're not careful, we say, well, it's time to just take a deep breath and relax. But this morning, we're going to look at the Word of God to a passage uh, that I actually preached on a Sunday evening before. We're going to look at it from a totally different perspective. But I think it's a great fit for what we experience here. And it's an instruction, I believe, for moving forward. The title of this message is After the Victory. After the Victory. And in case you didn't notice, this is not, for anyone who may be confused, this is not one of the light items of Project Renew. This is not a, a revamp of the fellowship here in the sanctuary. But our church is under a little transformation. It has been under a little transformation. I want to thank those who came out. Can I just tell you that there has not been an evening the past three evenings where I've not looked out my window well after the time where I was supposed to be in the bed and seen cars in the parking lot still here working on this church. If you haven't been through, I challenge you to stroll through and look at the transformation that has taken place in preparation for Bible school, the, the planets and the stars that are all out. And some people might think, well, that's silly that you go to all that work for Bible school. But just last year, we saw 11 children give their lives to Jesus. And I don't think it's silly to go to work for God and see the, the fruits of that labor. So I thank God for those who came and decorated and helped and prepared for weeks and weeks beforehand. 
But this is immediately, as we look at this, we can look at it a couple of different ways. But what I see is the reason why we can't get complacent. We can't say, boy, that was a good revival and then take a break. We can't say, boy, I enjoyed Brother Rick. I enjoyed Brother Philip. I enjoyed those things. We can't look at those things and then stop. We have to look at those things and say, praise God for the revival in my life that I might serve him during Bible school, that I might come and be a part of seeing this. Why? Because it's now Bible school. The two most evangelistic weeks that any church experiences are their revival and their Bible school. Hands down, statistics show over and over again, you have more effort and more evangelism done in those two weeks, and we have them back to back. Now, some people said, Brother Jason, you're crazy. Schedule them back to back. And I said, why? Revival's first. We ought to be excited to have Bible school. We can't wait to tell these children about Jesus. Why? Because the whole reason we came Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night to hear the Word of God preached was so that we might get filled with the Holy Spirit not to hide it under a bushel. You know the little song, don't you? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I won't let Satan blow it out. I won't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. We don't come get filled up with the Holy Spirit so that we can go back out to our car and tell our wife, or our spouse or pick up the phone and call our best friend and say, boy, that was good. No, 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 no. We come get filled with the Holy Spirit so we can turn around and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for me this week. Let me tell you how he showed up. And let me tell you how he's going to continue to show up. Because we don't get saved for a moment. We get saved for a lifetime. Joshua chapter 8. Please stand. As we read aloud verses 1 through 8. We'll be preaching kind of through the whole chapter, but we will read aloud verses 1 through 8 together this morning. Joshua chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. He commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us as the first, we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say... They are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall arise from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord, your God, will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city afire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Let's pray. Father God, God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that your spirit would again do what only it can do, and that is dwell among your people this morning. God, you escort any thought or any spirit from this place right now that might hinder the worship of your people, Lord God. 
Allow us to focus on you and you alone for just a few minutes we have remaining, Lord God. God, we will be faithful to praise you and give you the honor and the glory for what you do. And it's in your precious name that we pray. And all of God's people said, and you may be seated. You know, I love the book of Joshua. I may have told you this before, but the, but the entire book of Joshua and the entire possessing of the land of Canaan is really a picture of living a victorious Christian life. Uh, a lot of people mistake Canaan land for a picture of heaven, but really Canaan land is not a picture of heaven per se as much as it's a picture of victorious Christian life, of claiming what God has forementioned for you, claiming what God has already done for you. He had already promised the Israelites the promised land, so the taking of Canaan should have come of no surprise, but given their disobedience throughout Exodus, that's the reason Joshua is so sweet is because they get obedient to God and then they enter into victorious Christian living and it is a glimpse into what we too can experience in our lives but a reminder of the context of where we are in chapter 8. We're getting to the second battle of Ai. Israel had taken Jericho. The Lord had blown down the walls and they marched right in. You remember the children's song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. I would argue that Jehovah fought the battle of Jericho. But nonetheless, they marched around the walls of that fortified city, the walls that seemed insurmountable and unpassable and, un and unattainable, and God blew them right down with a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't the trumpets, but it was God's wind that blew the walls of Jericho down and the Israelites walked into the most fortified city in all of that area. It was a prepared city. And they walked right in. But as they lay in the shadows of Jericho, as they lay there having just experienced the greatest victory of their history, stepping into the promised land, they went into a small town of Ai that had a very small army that did not have the fortified walls of Jericho. And they suffered defeat. 36 men lost their lives in the battle of Ai that we see at the beginning of chapter 7. Joshua then seeks the face of God. How did we fail God? How could we take Jericho and then fail at Ai? It just doesn't mathematically make sense, God. Why has your favor been removed from us, God? And God revealed to Joshua, you'll remember chapter 7, it's such a terribly sad chapter of the Bible, really. God would reveal to Joshua that there was sin in the camp among the Israelites. That Sir Achan had done the thing that he had been commanded not to do and he had taken spoils from Jericho. For you see, they had been commanded not to take anything from the spoils of victory of Jericho. And so God had revealed to Joshua why the hand of him was removed from them and they had dealt, dealt with the sin of Achan, the way that they were supposed to. And here we find them in chapter 8, having dealt with the sin of Achan and preparing to go back into battle against Ai. And it reminds me that if we are going to continue in victory after the victory, so after the victory of Jericho, how would they continue in victory moving forward? And the first thing we've got to have is a proper vision. We've got to have a proper vision. You see, the easy thing to do for us, this week would be to look back at the success of revival and dwell in that victory. 
It was a good week, wasn't it? I would say it was a great week. I have had people come to me and bless you for it and say to me, Brother Jason, that may be the best week of revival I have ever experienced in my life. And I praise God for that because it is all His glory. Brother Rick and Brother Philip would say the same thing. It was all to the glory of God. But can I just tell you that if we dwell looking backwards at that revival and not looking forwards to what's coming, that revival will have been a colossal waste of time. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to have one victorious week in my life. I want to have a lifetime of victories. And what I know is that my God has already prepared those victories for me if I'll just be obedient to Him to go. And see, the thing is, the, the, the desires of our heart oftentimes is for us to just stay in Jericho, isn't it? Jericho was a nice city the Israelites had taken. Had great walls that had been blown down. A great victory was there. They were in the promised land, weren't they? They had gotten over the Jordan River and gotten there. And so the comfortable thing to do once you got to the edge of the promised land would just say, well, I'm just going to set up camp here. I'm going to dwell in the victory that God delivered to me here. AI, when I went to battle there, didn't go so well. So I'll just stay where I'm at because it's comfortable. And it is a, a, a thrill of victory. But can I just tell you something? If you read through the rest of Joshua, and we will in time, when you study the rest of Joshua, you see that Jericho, it was just a taste on the very outskirts of the edge of the promised land. God had ordained many victories for the Israelites. Jericho was just the first. And, and, and we could fall victim to the same trap if we were to spend all our time looking at revival. That was just a taste of the edge of the promised land that we can experience as a church. If we would just remain faithful and diligent to seek and respond to God's will for our church. And so we have to have a proper vision if we're going to move forward. A few things to remember about our proper vision. One, we can't respond in fear. Look at verse 1 with me. The Lord said to Joshua what? Do not be afraid or do not fear depending on your translation. This is the same thing that God had told to Joshua in chapter 1 verse 9 in case it looks familiar to you. In Joshua 1 9, God would say to Joshua, Joshua, Joshua 1, 9, God would say to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. These very same words that he's going to say to him here. He's saying to him, hey, remember back when you took over for Moses and you were afraid that you didn't know how to lead the people. What did I tell you, Joshua? I told you, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Do not be overcome with your personal feelings, but take faith that everywhere the sole of your feet touch shall be yours. He's already said to Joshua, everywhere that you walk will belong to the people of Israel. You will take it. So be faithful, Joshua. Don't be afraid. I've already delivered the victory. God is saying, if I started this work in you, then I am faithful to complete it. God is going to do his part. And you see, the thing is that success and failure, they're often very closely related, aren't they? Right? We can allow our successes of the past to be our failures of the future or we can allow our failures of the past to be our successes of the future depending on how we look at those things right you dwell too long in your failures you just keep failing but you dwell too long in your successes and you begin to fail 
But if you will look at those things in perspective and say they were all for the glory of God. They all belong to me because of God. And we keep it in that proper perspective, then we can keep on moving forward. You say, well, Brother Jason, that's, that's nice when you're talking about the Battle of Jericho. But how does, that, how does that apply to us now? We haven't failed. We're not coming out of chapter 7. You said yourself that we had a wonderful revival week. And I say you're absolutely right. But if we allow ourselves to forget that everything good that we experienced was the grace of God in our lives and start to think that we had something to do with it, then, my friends, the first battle of AI is just around the corner. I'm sorry. That's just the way it works. Look at the life of the Israelites. Obedience and disobedience, right? We have to remain obedient to God. But he says something else to him besides don't fear. And I want us to stay here for just a minute. He says, do not dismay. That word literally means distress. It literally means distress usually caused by something unexpected. So when we use the word dismay, it would be like, I can't believe that this happened. I didn't see it coming and I'm just, I'm torp. I don't know what to do about it. But if you look at the Hebrew word, it literally means discouraged or beat down. And so I believe as Joshua comes to this place out of the situation with Achan and the defeated Ai, I believe he's wondering, am I the man who is supposed to lead these people? Am I the man who has the proper vision for the people of Israel? Am I the man that's supposed to be here? Moses had done such a good job. And I just don't know that I'm the man for the job. I thought when we took Jericho that I was the man for the job, but now I'm not so sure. You say, well, why would Joshua perhaps feel that way? Why would he need a word from God that says, do not be fearful and do not be dismayed? Why would he need that word from God? Well, let us think back. And I don't want you to turn back there, but you can reflect back in your private time. But but all the way back to Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, you will find that that is what I call the victory before the battle of Jericho. And what is going on in chapter 5 of the book of Joshua is the people of Israel are getting ready to go and take the promised land. And so they perform acts of circumcision. They literally cut their flesh to become in line with the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, excuse me. They, They cut themselves to get right in line with what they're supposed to be before they go into the promised land. And then they take of the Passover, the first time that they had taken the Passover since they had been wandering in the wilderness. So they observe all the commandments of God. Why? Because they are preparing to take the promised land and they have to be consecrated before they can move into victory. And so their commander Joshua says, we have to get in line with the laws that Moses left for us before we head into this land. At the end of Joshua chapter 5, you see that Joshua is out and he's wandering and he runs into the commander of the Lord's army, who I believe to be none other than Jesus Christ. And he fouls before him. He sees him. And he says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua bows himself before his God. Before the battle even began. Before the walls came tumbling down. Joshua and the Israelites spent time preparing themselves for battle. And I believe as Joshua finds himself after finding out about the sin of Achan on the other side of battle, I believe Joshua begins to think back. And he says, we really prepared ourselves for Jericho. 
But after we took Jericho, I sent some spies out, and they said I only needed 3,000 troops, and so I just sent 3,000 troops out to take Ai, and 36 men had to lose their lives before I sought the face of God. And I believe Joshua begins to be discouraged and think to himself, if I had only been obedient to seek the face of God before we lost 36 men, Perhaps God would have revealed the sin of Achan to me before the first battle of Ai. Perhaps God would have revealed that to me. And I believe that's why Joshua finds himself doubting himself, fearful and disappointed and discouraged in himself, is because he knows that he did not remain obedient and faithful to God. He didn't proceed with a proper vision. It's one of the reasons... As I look at this and I see Joshua and his leadership and what a great leader he was, but how at the beginning of chapter 7, quite honestly, he failed as a leader. It's why I stand before you this morning with a plea for you to please remain diligent and obedient because I am fully aware that we cannot stop moving forward. We cannot be satisfied with the vision that we had and stop developing the vision to move forward. Well, how how do we do that, Brother Jason? How do we not stop moving forward? How do we not keep looking backwards? Well, one thing I'd say is we don't need to forget what God did for us. We don't need to forget what he did for us during this great revival. We don't need to forget what we did to prepare for that. That's why this church will now be open each Friday and Saturday for prayer for the people of God. Because I am just crazy enough to believe that God hears the prayers of His people. God hears the prayers of your people. And I can pray over these pews all by myself. I can pray at this altar all week long. And you can pray at your house. You're absolutely right. You can do that. But there's something special about coming to the house of God And praying corporately as a people. So these doors will be open. I remember a day way back when when the church doors were always open. They won't be open all week long. But Fridays and Saturdays they will be open during the day for you to come and pray. And on that back podium there will be a list of specific things that I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for. Come at your leisure. You come when you want to during those days. You come that evening whenever you can come. You don't have to schedule a time. You don't have to ask me if I'm in the office. You don't even have to come talk to me. You can if you want to. But just come, take that list, and pray. Because I'm just crazy enough to believe that part of the reason the Holy Spirit dwelt among His people this past week is because His people prayed that He would. His people prayed. So this this is what we're going to do. I'm not going to forget that when we took time to consecrate ourselves and pray that God showed up in a mighty, mighty way. And so I'm going to ask you, if you can, to join me. If you can't come here, I understand. Pray from home. But if you can, I think anybody that came would tell you there was something special about spending time alone with God in prayer in His house on a day that wasn't Sunday. Yes, it's odd. Yes, it's different. But I promise once you get used to it, there'll be nothing you cherish more than your time with God. And so I'm going to ask you to do that. We need to not forget also, though, in addition to our prayer time that we had before, we need not to forget the convicting that we had in our pews during revival. As as you sat there through the revival service and the Holy Spirit pricked your heart and convicted you of something, you do not need to let that go. Maybe the Holy Spirit convicted you that you haven't studied the Word enough. 
that you're not living in the Word of God the way that you should. Maybe He convicted you that you're not praying enough. Maybe He convicted you that you need to reconcile with that person whom you've been at odds with. Maybe He convicted you that you need to move forward and let go of something. Whatever it is, don't let that conviction stay in that pew. Because if that conviction stays in that pew, it merely goes away and Satan puts that light out. And he puts that fire out. And you don't think of it again until the next revival when you go, man, I still need to be in the Word of God. I still need to be praying more. I still need to reconcile with my brother. And you've just allowed Satan to take another year of your life that you could have been serving God. You've allowed Satan to rob your joy. If you need a study plan, let me know. If you need a prayer guide, let me know. I would be honored to help you with study and prayer. If you need to know how to reconcile with a brother, let me know. I would be happy to help you do that to the best of my ability. If you need somebody to pray for you, if you need a place to serve in the church, if you said, I'm not doing enough, let me know. I promise we'll find somewhere for you to serve God in this church. You need to know what you can do. Let me know. We can work together for God, but you've got to step forward and say, I'm not going to let my conviction die in my pew. I'm going to do something with what God did to me during revival. Because that conviction... I promise you, if you stick it in your pocket and pretend it didn't happen, then it'll eventually fade away until you don't feel it anymore. And then you'll have to wonder, what Brother Rick preach? You'll have an unfulfilled ministry in your life. And you'll come to the end and look back with a life of regret. Maybe you were moved to get baptized or maybe you were moved to join the church. Maybe you were moved to tell the preacher you don't like him. I don't know what it was. But whatever you were moved to do, don't let it go because we have to have a proper vision. In order to do that, we have to deal with the convictions of God and be obedient to Him. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want revival to be a flash in the pan. I want revival to be the story of my life. And I want it to be the story of yours as well. The first thing we have to have is a proper vision. But the next thing we have to have is we have to realize that there is a phenomenal plan. So what does God say to Joshua? He says, Joshua, take some folks. Go hide them behind the city. And then take some folks to the front of the city. And when the people of Ai come out to run you off again, you take off running like you did before. Now I want you to wait just a minute. In that time, the typical military strategy was to put as much of your force together as you could and overwhelm the the, the opponent so to speak. Whatever town you were taking, you would line all your troops up so that when they peered out over their fortified walls, they would go, oh my goodness, there are 300,000 of those God-fearing Israelites out there. We better, we better duck and hide. But God says something different to Joshua. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to take about 30,000 go hide them behind the city where can't nobody see them. And then I want you to walk up where they can see you. And then I want you to take off running, Joshua, just as fast as you can. Now that seems like an odd tactic. But I want you to know that the plan of God, while it may seem odd to us on the surface, it is always a phenomenal plan for our lives. 
He always has a plan that far exceeds our own. And so what happens in verses 9 through 29, we won't read them all, but the plan of the Lord plays out exactly as he commands that it would. Surprise, surprise, right? God's plan always works out, doesn't it? But I want us to look at a couple of things before we move on about the phenomenal plan of God. He used, first I want us to realize he used the failures of their past to provide the victory of the present. What do you mean, Brother Jason? Look at verse 14 with me real quick. Let's look at verse 14. Now it happened that when the king of Ai saw it, the men of the city hurried and rose early, went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. For he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. So what happens? God said, you know what? Joshua, if you'll take the people out in front of that city and you'll take off running like y'all did last time, that king of Ai is going to come storming out after you. Because it's what happened last time. You took off running, and they run you off. This time, they're going to try to squash you out. And so what God says is, I'm going to use the failure that you had before in battle in order to bring about victory this time. So you run up there, and when they come out, you take off running just like last time. And he's going to send everybody out because he wants to stamp out this Israelite problem, right? The king of Ai is sitting there thinking, these guys took Jericho. These guys escaped Egypt. These guys just walked over the Jordan River when it was on dry land. They've got something special. If I can squash them out, I better do it. There they go running again. Let's go, boys. Let's go get them Israelites. But God uses their failures to provide their victories, doesn't he? The ambush works to perfection. All the people of Ai come rushing out to go and, 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 and squash them out. And then the people of Israel that were laying in ambush, Joshua holds out his spear and his staff and he holds it out. They come in, they burn the city to the ground. They ambush all of the troops of Ai and they take the city that God had already promised them. And it reminds us that our God is a God of second chances, isn't he? My God is a God of grace, isn't he? He can use the past failures and use them for his glory if we will let him. That's why it drives me crazy. Absolutely. You want to know what drives me crazy? This is one of the things that drives me crazy. When we as Christians act like we're holy and sanctimonious and we've never been anything less. When we sit around in our padded pews and we turn our nose up at someone, when they come in here with sin in their life or when they come to pray or when they reveal something to us that we think is contrary to what we thought that they were supposed to be and we pretend that we don't have the same filthy, rotten sin nature about ourselves. Yes, maybe I don't drink the way this man drinks. Maybe I'm not caught in pornography the way this man is caught in Maybe I haven't cheated on my wife the way this man is. But I can guarantee you, you got something that's just as filthy. You've had something in your life that's just as filthy. Maybe you don't have his problem. Bless God you don't have his problem, but you got your own problem. And we stand and we act like we ain't got nothing wrong with it. Oh, yeah, that's a brother. I'll pray for you. Glad I never had to deal with that because I was saved at birth and I've been perfect ever since. Bless God, I've been a member of the church since I was two. And I've never had any real sinful problems. 
You laugh, right? You think it's funny just because I used a weird voice. But how many times have we acted like that with our ways? How many times? We hadn't used that voice. I realize that that's my own voice. I coined that one. But we act like that with the way we look at people. And it drives me crazy. You know why it drives me crazy? Because God, you've been through that test so that God could give you your testimony. You didn't go through that storm so you could forget it ever happened. You walked through that storm because somewhere in 2017 at Rocky Valley Baptist Church, somebody's going to walk through that's going through a storm and you're going to be able to say, let me tell you about Jesus and what he did for me. Because I had struggles too. I've lived through problems. And I believe that my God is just strong enough to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm the only one with enough sin in my life to thank God that he's redeemed me on the other side of it. But I think if we would just get a little more realistic with ourselves, we might find that we have a little more witness for others if we would just be willing to be honest about what God has done. But look at something else with me, though. Look at verse 27 with me. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of Lord which he commanded to Joshua. Can I tell you something ironic? If Brother Achan had just been patient... God was going to give him more than he took from Jericho. He was going to give it to him. God had already ordained the victories and the blessings for Brother Achan. You see, when they took Jericho, what did I tell you about Jericho? Well, it had fortified walls, brother, yes. Well, it was in the promised land, yes. Well, it was in the edge of the promised land, yes. But it was the first city in the promised land. And what does God say that his people are to give to him? The first fruits as a tithe. Our first fruit. It it, it doesn't mean that when everything else is taken care of, that we go back and give him what's left. It says we give him the first and the best. We give our best to God. We give our all to God. And so Jericho was the first city that they were taken And so God said, you don't take the spoils from Jericho. They belong to me. They're the first fruits of this deliverance. You've got an entire promised land that I'm going to bless you with more than you can pour out. I'm going to give you more than you'll ever know. But you cannot have the plunder in Jericho. But Brother Aiken said, boy, that looks good. And I think I'll rob God of what's his. And the irony is that as Achan lay under a pile of stone with his family due to his sin, is that if he had just waited till the next city, God was going to give him more than he could ever imagine. It was going to be his. And this should be a reminder to us. I didn't come here to preach on tithing. This should be a reminder to us, though, that God's plan for us always far exceeds our plan for ourselves, right? Achan had a plan for himself, didn't he? I'm going to take a little plunder. I'm going to hide it under my tent. He hid it under his tent. For Lord's sake, he didn't even get to use it. 
He had to hide it because he couldn't tell nobody he took it. And he died for something that was hid under his tent. But God's plan for Achan was so much greater. God had a blessing in store for him. I don't know about you guys. But I would far prefer to be part of a phenomenal plan of God's than the best plan of man any day. I would much rather stand right in line with God's will wondering what's coming next than try to dot every I and cross every T in my own plan. Sometimes it may seem odd, but might I remind you that the same God that I worship today caused a donkey to speak one time? He caused a blind man to see on multiple occasions. He caused dead men to come up out of the grave. I feel like that same God has a plan that probably far exceeds what my feeble mind can comprehend sometimes. He just says to me, be obedient. And so finally, let us look, not just at our proper vision and not just at our phenomenal plan, but let us look as we close at the praise that we return. The praise of God that we return. Look at verse 30 with me. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God. He built an altar. He said, now we've taken AI. Now we can take the plunder. God has delivered. We've got back in line with God. And I want to build an altar. We might remember this. Why do they build altars in the Bible? So it might be a place where they remember what God did. I want to remember what God did, but it goes even further if you read through the rest of it. This was a command that God had given to the Israelites. Uh, It's written in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 if you want to look back at it. But Moses had written to them. He said, when you guys get there, when you guys get to the region where Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim are, when you get to that region, here's what you're going to do. You're going to separate into two groups. And I want one group to go over here to Mount Ebal. And the ones on Mount Ebal, when Joshua reads from the word about the disobedience and the curses for disobedience, I want this group over here on Ebal to say, Amen, Amen. And this other group, you're going to go over here to Mount Gerizim. And when Joshua reads about your obedience and your blessings from God, you're to go, Amen, Amen. It would be like if I said, I want this side over here when I talk about how we've been disobedient. I want you to shout hallelujah. And this side over here when I talk about how God blessed us during our revival. I want you to shout hallelujah. And all you in the middle, I want you to sit quiet because that's what you're going to do anyway. But it's a, it's a, this is a natural amphitheater that Joshua is standing in. He's standing in the middle and he begins to read from the word of God the way Moses had commanded, had been commanded by God and wrote it. And as he reads through, I believe that his old Joshua said something like and while we sent the spies out we didn't heed to the word of God and spent 40 years in the wilderness I believe this over here on Ebal went amen amen and then Joshua would stand there and say but God in Egypt 
would deliver us and then parted the Red Sea. And these over here at Gerizim said, Amen, Amen. And this was a reminder to the people of Israel as they're entering into the promised land, as they're going through victories. It's a reminder from God. You better remember that the blessings, excuse me, that the curses are when you were disobedient to me and the blessings are when you were obedient to me. So where do we go after the victory of revival? Well, friends, we need to remember that every blessing that we have comes when we are obedient to God. And if you want to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, the quickest way to do it is to stop obeying God. Because His command far supersedes your own plan. So how do we respond this morning? We respond in obedience. You want to move forward with more and more victories in your life, in the life of this church, you respond in obedience. I don't know what God's calling you to do. I have no idea what God's calling you to do. Maybe he's calling you to commit to reading his word. You say, well, brother, I, I, I can do that from where I sit. You're right. But I agree with the pastor this past week. There's something special about coming to the altar and saying, God, right here on this holy ground, I commit to you that I am going to read your word. God, right here on this holy ground, I commit that I am going to pray for your church. I'm going to pray for my pastor. I'm going to pray for my Sunday school teacher. Can I just add, if you ever run out of anything to pray through the week, pray for your pastor. I'll take it. Anytime you want to throw it up there, I'll take it. You get tired of praying for me, pray for my wife because she's got to put up with me. (laughs) But I make you this promise. And I don't make you any promises that I can't keep, and I make you this promise. If we will move forward in obedience, whatever God's calling you to do, if you will be obedient and say, God, I will do that. Whatever it is, then we'll all stand on this side of Gerizim and shout amen, amen for what God does in our lives and in the life of this church. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you. And we recognize that your ways are better. God, we've all experienced in our lives what happens when we're left to our own plans and our own devices and our own ways, God. God, there's somebody here, perhaps several, that right now you're pressing on their lives that as good as revival was, you have convicted them of something and they need to lay that at your feet. So God, I pray you'd give them the courage to step forward and say, I'm not going to sit silently anymore, but I'm going to lay it at your feet, God. I'm going to commit to you, God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to study. Somebody here, God, you have pricked their heart to serving you in a way, Lord. They don't even know how, perhaps. God, you give them the courage to come down and say, Pastor, I want to serve this church. Help me find a place. This is what I'm led to do. This is what I'm gifted at. Help me find a place to serve. God, I believe there could be somebody here this morning who through this whole service has said, I've never made my first commitment to God. I've never said that God, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to be saved. I want to know what it's like to be obedient. And the first step is to accept Jesus Christ is my Savior. So God, I pray that you give them the conviction and the courage to do that. 
And it is in your precious, saving, worthy of worship name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.